Hello and welcome back to Bombato, the Scandinavian La Liga podcast and Alexander Jonsson. I don't know about you, but when we first started talking last summer and I dropped you a line, I said, hey, might be a good idea to do a, a podcast about Scandinavians in La Liga. Feels like it could be a good time to do it. I don't think either of us thought that we would get to late February and we would have a Dane playing up front for Barca, a Swede banging in the goals for Real Sociedad, a Norwegian pulling the strings for the same team and Daniel Vass at Valencia. Well, we maybe would have guessed that. But anyway, I think we can safely say that it has exceeded our expectations, which were already cautiously high for the season, right? Well, if we're going to be completely honest, we are behind all of this. This is the, the Scandinavian takeover. We don't just decide to start a podcast and then be lucky about it. Of course, we have lots of preparations into this. We've made a lot of calls. We have personally trained all of these players so, to make sure that they are doing this at the same time, at the right time. This is years of planning for the Scandinavian La Liga takeover that is now finally taking place. Everything going as planned. Nothing is a surprise. Right? Yeah, I'm just waiting for our uh, percentage fee in the post. Uh, for some reason, that's not turned up. I don't know. I'm not rich yet, which seems wrong, and neither are you as far as I yeah. can tell. Or maybe you are, but hey. All right, so, well, yeah, last week we had a little bit of a, a spanner in the works, seeing as uh, Eibar Real Sociedad got cancelled, so that took out, well, two-thirds of our Scandies that were going to be playing that particular weekend. But we're back with a bang, and what a bang it is. Martin Brathwaite has signed for FC Barcelona. It's absolutely nuts. And absolutely incredible at the same time. So, I mean, the obvious question we should start off with, because, you know, you and I, we've followed this guy very, very closely, probably closer than most. And even then, I think we can both agree that we didn't necessarily see this sign in common, not, not least because there wasn't much talk about it. And then it just kind of, you know, bang. Yeah, and he felt like, as we said before, when we talked about the, the transfer window, that every single person in the world had been linked to be signed uh, by Barcelona. So even... When the first news or rumors came, um, you kind of didn't really believe it 100% because it's just another name, um, another striker they, they looked at um, to be linked to Barcelona. But then it, I think, kind of fast became quite clear that this is actually going to happen. Um, and from our point of view, that's that was incredible. Uh, but... I think a lot of people did not have the same view as us because we, as you said, we have followed him. Uh, for us as a Scandi podcast, it's also amazing to get a Scandi to Barcelona, to a big team like that. Uh, but I think for, for a lot of people, it's kind of strange. Okay, why is Barcelona signing a player from Leganes, a team that is probably about to get relegated from La Liga? So the thing that I thought was actually quite interesting about this was that when I was reading through quite a lot of the, the Danish coverage of it, was that some of the journalists, I think it was at BT, um, the Danish newspaper, they were saying that the first contact between Barca and Brathwaite came in January 29th. So it's actually way back when the transfer window was open that they first started to speak to him, or at least started to sound out what he would think about coming there. And that's really a credit to whoever was working on this transfer and also to Martin Brathwaite and to the people that he works with as well, that they kept this quiet because it didn't leak at all. I mean, I don't know about you, but I saw nothing of this until literally two or three days before it happened. It started to emerge in the Spanish press that they were looking at him kind of out of nowhere. So credit where it's due because it's not easy to keep a, a story like that secret and under wraps um, in the football world and especially not in the Spanish football world when you have these newspapers and hundreds of journalists who are just dedicated to finding these stories and getting them out as quickly as possible. And especially when every single player in the world is linked to the club. Except for basically him, uh, until it was time. 
Exactly. And I also I also think we should give a lot of credit to to Brathwaite in in what way he handled the entire situation, which was a quite delicate situation. Uh, how it was an emergency signing and and kind of leaving Leganes in in a moment which is really difficult for the club. Um, I think no one can can blame him from leaving. And I also liked how how Leganes treated it because uh, they didn't blame him at all. Uh, they blamed the situation. They didn't blame Barcelona. They didn't blame Leganes. Uh, blamed uh, Bradway, but they blamed the the rule of emergency signing. And and Bradway, as they as Leganes wrote and and said, what he was completely professional until the very last day, gave everything in training, even if he could get injured just before joining his new club. And I think just showing that dedication and showing that that you care even for, for that small club when you are getting perhaps the, the biggest uh, signing of your life is, is quite uh, says quite a lot about his personality and about him as, as a player and w- what kind of mindset he has. Yeah, Leganes were really, really classy about this, I thought. It would have been easy for them to try and you know throw him under the bus and find an easy target for the fans to aim their their disappointment towards and say look oh this guy is a traitor or whatever but no they didn't do that at all and actually even the way they spoke about Barca they didn't criticize Barca for it they criticized the rule and you know mm-hmm. they would have been entitled to criticize Barca to some extent I think but they chose not to go there and I think that says a lot about the way they run um speaking about the subject of class though I want to kind of get onto a slightly more delicate subject to do with this which is that I thought that quite a few people could have shown a little bit more class in how they reacted to this transfer. There were a lot of people who were very quick, and I don't just mean like you know people on Twitter and fans and whatever, because that's fine. They 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 aren't held to a professional standard standard. But I'm talking about journalists in particular who cover Spanish football for a living. You know, laughing at this, making fun of it, like what are they doing? This guy's useless. This is a disaster. People, I saw some people writing that this is terrible. Leganes are going to go down. Brathwaite's going to be a massive flop. Barca have picked up a terrible player that's not good enough for them. Blah 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 blah. They were so so quick to to jump on top of this and judge it as a failure before a ball had even been kicked. And I do wonder how many of them. Maybe some of them did, and who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just a difference of opinions. But I do wonder how many of them have really seen that many of uh, Leganes' matches this season that weren't against Barca or Madrid or whatever and how many of them had really followed um, how Brathwaite's been playing since he came to Spain in particular because it didn't really fit the... I mean, this is a surprise, don't get me wrong, it's a surprise, we didn't expect him to end up there but I think you and I have been saying for months, we were saying, you know, after this season is over he's going to move up and he'll be playing at a, a pretty decent standard so... I don't know. I just think some people, let this be a lesson because as we'll come on to later, they've suddenly changed their tune after only 20 minutes on the pitch. So maybe people could be a little bit more professional in their judgment of these things, I think. I think this is a problem in general that you see quite a lot when it comes to Spanish football, that there's a lot of people who act as if they are experts on, on all the teams when they in fact are mainly following Barcelona and Real Madrid Atletico, not saying they are not really good at doing that, but they, they watch the other teams through watching the games they play against them. And that is the completely wrong way to get any kind of view on these other teams because for many of them, games against Barcelona, Real Madrid and Atletico are plus games, extra games. That they, there is the off chance where they do get a result, where they do win and that would give an extremely boost and it will be something special. But... Most of these teams, they go into those games with a different mindset, with a different type. They play different type of football in those games because they have to. Um, and you will not see uh, what players normally stand out. You won't see what is actually the core of these teams or how they work. You have to watch 
the games where they play against the smaller teams, where they play against each other, where they play against the, the middle teams. Um, I, I just watch them on, often and often. And I noticed that with myself from uh, from before when I would maybe watch more of the big clubs uh, and get to know the other clubs through, through their games to the last couple of years when I've continually gone, gone regularly gone to Balaidos, for example, or up in the Basque country. Uh, and also not just live, but also on TV following these other teams that you see completely different. That what we talked about with Kike Setien, for instance, before, is that a lot of people seen him from what he did with Betis when they played against Barcelona at Camp Nou, for example, but they didn't really follow what he did on a regular be- regular basis with Betis. And I think you get a very different view um, if, if you do that. So I think that is is a problem in general when it comes to La Liga and it's both fans and, and but even worse, the journalists and, and, and experts. And, and that doesn't really give you a fair view. Um, but it makes for things like Bradway to come and be a huge surprise, yeah. which probably wouldn't have been as big of a surprise if for people who actually watch what he's done with Leganes. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, scoring six goals with Leganes, with the way that Leganes have been playing for most of the season, spending, you know, let's say 70% of the game outside their own box a lot of the time just defending. That's not an easy feat. It's, it's very different to scoring six goals with Barca who create like 100 chances in every game. And also if you'd seen some of the goals, I mean, come on, this is a guy who like chipped the keeper from outside the box for one of his goals, for example. He's, he's not, this isn't like a Sunday league, uh, like, you know, I don't know, Divi Horn et footballer or whatever. This is a guy who is playing to a high standard and overperforming at a team that really haven't helped him much to, to achieve the goals that he's achieved. And also just a point on that as well. I think it is easy to not understand what level the entire La Liga is and also the teams in the bottom. Like for instance, this last week I was in, in Wolfsburg to watch uh, an Europa League game between Malmö FF and Wolfsburg. And then two days la- later, I watched a relegation battle match here between Leganes and Celta de Vigo. And the level of the football from an Europa League game to the relegation battle was huge. Like the quality of watching watching Celta and Leganes in comparison to, to that game, no offense to Wolfsburg or Malmö, because I'm a big fan of Malmö, but the, the level of football was just on a complete different level. And these are clubs that are playing in Europe and clubs that are fighting relegation, uh, which I think says a lot about the Spanish league and what high of a quality it actually is. Yeah, so returning to, to matters on the pitch when it comes to Brathwaite then, his performance against Eibar. When I was watching this match, the, the second that he got ready to go onto the pitch and he was, he was brought on for Griezmann, I think, and the camp now applauded for him as he came on, that was like, at that moment, I just breathed a sigh of relief. Because I was like, okay, when it comes down to it, the fans are in the stadium, so the people are going to be putting the real pressure on him. They want him to do well. And I knew at that second, I was like, okay, this this is a very good platform for him. He's going to get the support he needs because they realize it's difficult to come into this team, you know, not even in a transfer window, after a transfer window was closed and hit the ground running. And then looking at what he actually did in that game, and keep in mind, this is a guy that's trained once, maybe twice. I, can't, I don't know if they trained on Saturday. I don't think they would have. So it would have just been once on Friday. He's trained once with his team. And he plays 20 minutes and has chances and if not assists, because I don't think they're technically assists, at least as you, let's say, 70% responsible for two goals. I thought that said a lot about him as a player and the kind of movements he was making as well, like the, the runs off the shoulder that he was making for Messi. And he even said afterwards, I think in one of the comments in the mix zone, that Messi actually said sorry to him because he didn't play the ball to him a couple of times when he made really good runs. That says a lot about how intelligent he is as a footballer because that, believe me, that's not come from one training session with Barca. 
you, you don't get enough time in one training session to synchronize those movements and they're not movements that you got to make with Leganes very often for exactly the reason that I said that Leganes plays so deep or have played so deep generally throughout the season so that says to me that when he says that he's someone who is a student of football who thinks about football he means it and the proof is in the pudding he showed it at the weekend because he's been watching Barca he's been studying them he's been watching how they play and he's been trying to change his game adjust his game as quickly as possible to their game and that's why he was so effective and I think that really says a lot about him as a player and it, for me that's why I'm optimistic that he's going to do well and probably exceed a lot of expectations beyond just this first game. I think so too and he's uh, as we said already he's a different type of signing than you normally see at Barcelona you normally see them going for the big names players that, that cost a lot of money um, in the last couple couple of years at least and this is a player that go, gone a little bit under the radar and I think and hope as well that that will probably put a little bit less pressure on him because expectations are just not as high and I think that also speaks for him um, and we've seen a lot of comparisons in Spanish media with with Henrik Larsson another Scandi um, and I mean there's a lot of things that are not similar in these cases but one thing that I think is similar is is the thing that when Henrik Larsson was signed it was a little bit the same in the sense that he wasn't the the player everyone expected to come and win a Champions League final for them even though he ended up doing that so I think he had he ended up becoming a player that got really really loved in, in Barcelona is for the hard work he put down and always giving 100% and being humble um, but he also got into the club with less pressure on him than I say, for instance, Anthony Griezmann got when he got there. Uh, and I think that's a little bit the same with Brathwaite in that sense. And, and he might benefit quite a lot from that. Yeah, I think the, the Larson comparisons a little bit. It's become like a bit of a cliche in Spain for those who aren't already aware of it, because for like the last 10 years, I mean, not even actually, not even just, not even immediately after Henke Larson left Barca, actually probably about five or six years later, you started to get these stories in the press like Barca need a Nuevo Larson. I think it was around about the time when Tito Villanova was coached because there was all yeah. that talk about how they needed a plan B. And it's become this sort of rolling cliche that anyone who essentially is just like a, a proper centre forward is automatically said to be the Nuevo Larson, regardless of whether they play similar. And to be honest, I don't think that Brathwaite and Larson play particularly similarly, but where they are similar is in their attitude. And they come in with a lot of humility that a lot of players don't come with. And a determination as well, a determination to do well and to take advantage of their opportunity. The difference though is that I think what a lot of Barca fans maybe don't grasp, because he still did very well, is that most of Henke Larsson's best football was behind him by the time he came to Barca. At Celtic, he was a much more complete player. And if you go back and look at some of the goals he scored, you'll see very clearly there that he wasn't just a box player. He could do a lot more than that. Whereas with Martin Brathwaite, I feel very much that he's hitting the peak of his career now and I think that says something about where we are in modern football as well that because careers go longer you get these players who maybe only when they start to get to around 30 actually start playing their best football we saw it with Adoris we've seen it with Christian Stoani who is an appropriate comparison because he was also at Middlesbrough where Brathwaite was and struggled quite a bit in England so I'm, I'm optimistic that his best football is ahead of him and that's why I think that even though but for all intents and purposes from what we understand Barca's plan is our initial plan is to sell him on and recoup as much as they can in the summertime. I wouldn't be so certain that's going to happen because I think he can, he definitely has the potential to exceed expectations and still be there come next season. So watch this spot. But at the same time, I want to temper my own judgment of them because if I'm going to, you know, criticize other people and say they should maybe hold back before they make an assessment of a player, then I have to apply the same standard to myself and say that, okay, he did, he did really, really well in difficult circumstances against Eibar. But that's just the start and he needs to do more. So we'll hold off and see. But it's the best possible start that he could have, I think. 
So that's all for the Martin Brathwaite section of the pod today. We have to move on and give some dedication to our other Scandies in La Liga. And I think that you're probably the best equipped person to do that, my friend. Yeah, and uh, so a quick Scandi roundup before we move on, I think, is in order. Uh, we've already covered the Dane Brathwaite uh, at... We moved to another Dane with Sister Celta de Vigo very quickly. He did not play. Uh, from <laughs> Then we move on to the Scandi game, which was Real Sociedad Valencia. Uh, Daniel Vaz played 90 minutes, uh, but I don't think there is a lot to say about that. No. Um, Martina Regard, again, did he play 90 minutes? I think he did, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, see, I, I'm very, I very looked up this very well. Uh, Martina Regard played 90 minutes, and we've talked about this a little bit before, but it feels like he's still incredible. Uh, I have to point that out. He's still the key, a key, key player for Real Sociedad. But if he's like he's got a little bit tired, probably mentally tired, uh, as you pointed out this week, um, and and we're just not seeing the same level as we saw at the start of the season. But then again, that was an insane level, um, so it's it's not really a lot of crisp to go there either. It's just not at the same level, but still at a very very high level. Uh, Alexander Isak, he had uh, especially a good first half, um, and then uh, not as good second half, but still decent enough uh, got to play a few minutes not a lot but a few minutes together with William Jose which was quite interesting um, and um, but he how he was subbed off uh, with 10 minutes to go 15 yep. minutes to go see how I, I was watching this game on a bus that's why my uh, <laughs> yeah, epic bus journey across Spain <laughs> my, my knowledge is, is so and so but uh, that is a very quick roundup uh, because we're going to go a little bit deeper into Real Sociedad now. We already covered Brathwaite. We don't have anything to say about Sisto, uh, but we're going to go to Celta a little bit later as well. We don't have that much to say about Daniel Vaz either this this week. No, it's been a week where I think Daniel Vaz would probably like to forget, just like most of Valencia. And to be honest, I think we we probably if this continues the way it's continuing, we'll we'll dive a little bit deeper on Valencia because there's a little bit of discontent now there with the centre back situation, which is really dire for them at the moment. But that's for another day, I think. So Real Sociedad, um, I don't know about you. The thing that I thought was super impressive about this game is all season we have been talking about how they're a really young team. They're a really young team, and that means that they'll be tested over the course of the season mentally, um, because they don't have the experience throughout the team to fall back on or at least not in all positions anyway. They were ruthless against Valencia. They absolutely plastered them. And Valencia came in with really low confidence, I think, and it just seemed like Real Sociedad smelled blood and they went for it. And they never really took their foot off the pedal throughout the game. And then it got to a point by about 70 minutes in where Valencia just looked like they'd given up. They looked like, okay, fine, we can't win this. We can't get back into this. Fine, have the ball. We're not going to press you. We just want to go home and... Real Sociedad were quite happy to play keep ball and then edge their way up the pitch as, as much as possible. But to me, that was like, you know, as they say, like a Golbert in the Mesa, like, a, uh, I don't know how you say it in English, but like smacking their hand on the table was like an, a blow of authority from Real Sociedad that said, no, we're not, we're not here to mess around. We're serious and we're going for everything that's, that's available to us this season. And yeah, I thought it was a, a big statement of intent from the Basques. And I think we're, we're getting to a point with Real Sociedad this season. We're, we're talked about them so much this season, but we're getting to a point now where it's time to start discussing, is this the best Real Sociedad team that we've seen since the 80s? And I think just to, to give a little bit of a recap for those like me who were not born in the 80s or didn't, don't know what, what Real Sociedad did then. So Real Sociedad is one of very, very few teams that have won La Liga and they've done it twice. They did it in... 
uh, let's see, 80, 81 and 81, 82, two years in a row. And they also won the Copa del Rey in, in 86, 87. So in the 80s, Real Sociedad were really good. They ended up runners up several seasons as well in the league and also, in, uh, also did it at least one time in the Copa, I think. Um, but we also have, so that is the, like the height of Real Sociedad and we're obviously not there. That, that's probably never going to happen again. Uh, but that's the last time they won any titles. This season, they have the chance to win a title. They are on their, probably the biggest candidate to win the Copa del Rey. And you can really notice that in, in San Sebastian. Um, but there is one team that is in between that we could discuss, which is a 2002-2003 team, where they also said that ended second in La Liga. But what I find interesting here is that that was very much a one-off. So the season before that, they were 13th in La Liga. The season after that, they were 15th in La Liga. And then a few seasons later, ended up relegated. That 2002-2003 season was the season when Xavi Alonso, that some of you might know, really, really took commando and broke through at the Real Sociedad. It was also the season where Xavi Prieto made his debut. I think he played one game. So that's not much to say. Uh, but the thing is uh, that, that I was thinking about, that, that season was very, very different from what La Liga is like now. So Real Madrid won the league. Real Sociedad got second, and then you had Depor, Celta, Valencia, and then Barcelona in the league table. You had a Copa del Rey final that was Recreativo de Huelva against Real Mallorca. So this very, I think the football was very different back then to to in La Liga to why it is, what it is now, which is one of the reasons why I starting to believe that this might be the best Real Sociedad team since the 80s, and also the fact that as I said, that was a one-off. If we look at this team, like we have discussed as well, is that I'm getting very, very more and more optimistic that Isaac and Odegaard are going to stay for one more season at Real Sociedad. And this season is the season where they got everything, all the, the puzzle bites, bits to fit in the puzzle. They got the right signings in the summer, got them together with already incredible players they had, who I would call is a golden generation coming from Subieta. Um, this season, they, they got them together. Imagine if they have them next season, having already played together for one season. If they win Copa del Rey or not this season, if they take a Champions League spot or not this season, imagine just having that when next season starts. That for me just gives me ghost bumps, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of potential. So I'm going to put my cards on the table. I don't think that they are the best team since the 80s. And it's not because of the team you mentioned, because let's be honest, I was born in 1989, so I would have been... 12 going on 13 with the team that came runner up in La Liga and I had basic knowledge of Spanish football at that time but I was not certainly not watching all of Real Sociedad's games by any distance and then since then as a journalist you fill in the gaps you go back and you do your research but I wasn't there at the time so I can't I can't judge it on a fair platform compared to now but what I can judge on a fair platform is the the Philippe Montagna team from the 2013 and for me this Real Sociedad team is not as good as that one yet they might prove to be at the end of the season, but I'll lay out my arguments and I think it's quite clear at the moment. So so that season in 2013, they they finished fourth. They get back into the Champions League for the first time since the early 2000s, actually, because they'd even spent time relegated. That's a big trauma in Real Sociedad's history that we might talk about later. Um, but they that team went on a run from mid-November until the end of the season where they only lost two games. 
And I watched them because I was working as a Spanish football journalist at this point, so I watched most of them. And I remember them being just exceptionally exciting. If you look across the pitch at the kind of players they have, it's easy to forget how good they were. So you had a Yaramendi breaking through at that time, sort of establishing himself as one of the best holding midfielders in Spain. And this is a guy that Real Madrid would later sign because of that. Uh, Sabi Prieto was playing as a number 10 and was still in his pomp. And he got like nine goals, I think, from behind the striker. Claudio Bravo was absolutely outstanding in goal. Inigo Martinez was breaking through. Alberto de la Bella was really, really consistent at left back. Aguirreche had his best ever season in front of goal. He got 15 goals that season. Carlos Vela came from Arsenal and then turned into the player that everyone thought he was going to be in England, but hadn't quite shown it to be. And he ended up getting, I think it was 26 goals and assists combined in all competitions. Antoine Griezmann started to blossom into a proper goal-scoring winger. He got 16 goals and assists combined that season. But then the big point, apart from all the talent, is who they were up against. So this is a season where Barca finished with 100 points as league leaders. Mourinho's Jose Mourinho's Madrid who would have won most leagues with their points tally that year year, I think it was like 85 or something Falcao's Atletico were third Valencia with Roberto Soldado scoring like 24 goals Pellegrini's Malaga that get to the Champions League quarterfinals and very very nearly get to the semi-finals uh, against Jurgen Klopp's Dortmund this was La Liga right in the middle of its most competitive and most high quality era and if you look at the points that Real Sociedad took that year they took 66 that's only 10 points less than what got them second in 2003 or like just about that margin so from perspective 78 points is enough to finish first in 2003 that's 22 points less than Barca took to win the league in 2013 so I think that the standard of La Liga in that season in 2013 is just so ridiculously high and there's so much strength and depth across the board that for me yeah the league right now is not as good as it was in that era and even if Real Sociedad uh, finish in a Champions League spot, which I'm not sure there's any guarantee there is, and even if they win a knockout competition, which is, you know, a handful of games, I- I'm not sure I'm quite ready to commit to them to being better than that team just yet. But maybe maybe I'll be proven wrong. Let's see. There's a hell of a lot of potential, that's for sure. Well, th- that's the thing. I-, I agree with all of that. What I mean is not that they are there yet this season. I'm talking about next season. Like, looking what they are creating now, because... As I said, even if they win Copa del Rey or not this season, and even if they take the Champions League spot or not, this is still the first year of getting this team together, of getting these signings together with the players that they have. If they get to play, get to, to keep players like Isaac, like Odegaard, like Porto, uh, and even more like players that they they like the players coming up from Sobieta, they will definitely keep because these are players that would do anything for Real Sociedad, and if they see the chance of actually doing something big with Real Sociedad, there's no way they are leaving. So if they can keep these players that, that they have signed this season that's been so key together with that team and keep on building on that, that that's for me next season, just insane things that, that this team could do. Because as we said, they're really young. There is a lot of talent there. And as we also said, that even though they are so young, we said this especially about Isaac and Odegaard, but it goes for so many players. They are so experienced, so mature. You have Mikel Oyarzabal, who's 22 years old, but he's been playing in the first team of Real Sociedad since he was 18, having the weight on him to be the, the new leader of the Sabe Prieto, playing with number 10 and all of this. You have these young players like Ander Baranchea, who is my personal favorite at Real Sociedad, to be honest, at the moment. An 18-year-old kid who comes onto the pitch and plays like he's been there forever. And it's all of these things and put them together that for me starts to see that we're seeing a golden generation that's come out from Subieta put together with just the right signings. And this season, they're not gonna, gonna reach that level. They might win a Copa del Rey title, which would be their first title since the 80s. 
And that means a lot. Like when I was in, in San Sebastian before the Mirandes game, the way people are talking on the streets, the, the illusion in, in ahead of the game, the, the excitement and everything, it's like you get ghost bumps and you see people walking around with ghost bumps because they are these things that they've only heard about when Real Sociedad could win a title and they're there again. And that is huge. Uh, but for me, it's the potential that we see here that might not end up as nothing. And we should keep the hype down maybe a little bit and not get too excited. But it's just the potential of what they could become next season that excites me so much. There is a word of warning here, though, that we've not mentioned, which is that Real Sociedad historically have an incredible capacity to self-destruct as well. So thinking back appropriately on that 2013 team, there was so much potential there. And then when they played at the Champions League qualifiers, they played against Lyon, I think it was, and they, they beat Lyon and they, Griezmann scored like this ridiculous like bicycle kick or whatever. And everyone thought, okay, this is it. Like they're going to push on now. They're going to do well in Europe. And they just fell apart. There was like a fallout with the manager. Montagna ended up leaving. Several players just didn't perform the way they, they were supposed to. And I, I can't remember what their final position was the season after, but it was nowhere near as good. And they were out comfortably in the group stage in the Champions League. So I guess that's the, the one thing we always have in the back of our mind is that like Real Sociedad have historically, at least since the 80s anyway, found a way to mess up when it feels like they shouldn't. So I really hope they don't this time. And I, and as on the same level, it's, it's about not... It's easy to try to, as I'm basically doing right now, hyping it out up a little bit too much get too excited but we could actually even though Real Sociedad looks like the biggest candidate to win Copa Rey it's even possible that they're gonna get knocked out by Mirandes it's, it's really really possible that that could happen and there is so much excitement in San Sebastian right now that it could end up being the biggest anticlimax. and going into next season that could also destroy things a bit by the way I know we're not here to talk about Mirandes but Andoni Iraola what a coach man I don't know if anyone saw the, the Copa del Rey game, in, uh, was it last week or was it the week before now? I can't remember, um, against Real Sociedad. But even though they didn't get the result, his team are really well drilled. And keep an eye on him, by the way, because Athletic Club in the future at some point will be looking for a new manager somewhere down the line. And he has a very good reputation there. Uh, a guy who's learned from people like Marcelo Bielsa, and you can see it in the way that his team play. For me, Iraola, if he keeps it up, could be a future Athletic manager. But we should probably return to the, the best team in question, Real Sociedad. And one question I want to ask you about is because the, the thing that seems to excite you the most about them that I can see is that maybe since for the first time since really since the Barca team that had a really strong core of academy players or even to be fair Atletico Madrid but since those two anyway this is a, a squad that's made up with a lot of people who have been taught the homegrown way and I know that you're super impressed with Subiata right? Uh, so yeah, well, Subieta is incredible in, in so many ways, and they do things quite different than, than many other many other academies. And when we're talking about youth football, that's become such a huge debate in how to do things. Uh, I find that Real Sociedad have kind of no one really talks about what they're doing, but they're doing things quite different, and they are delivering. So I saw some statistics. I think it was a year ago or something like that. that showed that Real Sociedad is producing is one of the clubs that are producing the most players to Europe's top five leagues in, in the last decade or, so, decade or so. And what they're doing is that they don't have any youth teams until 13 years of age, uh, in, which is quite interesting as more and more clubs are doing younger and younger teams and more professional at the younger age. At Real Sociedad, their philosophy is completely different. They think that it's important for kids to be kids. So before they are 13 years old, they don't scout any kids. What they do is they are in contact with the, the 
sport teachers at the local schools around the area, around San Sebastian, around outside of San Sebastian. Um, and just follow the progress of the kids. They want. They don't want the kids to play football, even in, in specific football clubs. That they're not interested in that. They want to see kids in doing sports in school because they think it's important at that age for them to be at home, but also to do all kind of sports and not just go one hundred percent into football. Uh, so I think that is one of the reasons, uh, or one thing that is really interesting with them. And then also when you're in San Sebastian, uh, in the Basque country in general, but when you're in San Sebastian. Every single kid is running around in Real Sociedad gear from top to toe. You don't see any other shirts. It's just Real Sociedad. I was there uh, a few weeks ago and I was just out taking walks. I some kids playing football and they were not, they stopped for like 10 minutes. They were not playing because they were fighting about who got to be Mikel Oyarzabal. This is not even a joke. They were fighting who got to be Oyarzabal and they couldn't, they couldn't start playing until it was sorted. The kid who had an Oyarzabal shirt on him, I think he won. <laughs> So, so that is what it's. You have the the love for Real Sociedad, which is really, really deeply rooted there. Uh, at the same time, you're not for taking the kids on uh, at a young age. Instead, they're they're always dreaming about playing for Real Sociedad, but they can't do it until a certain age. Um, if we take someone like Sabi Prieto, he started playing for Real Sociedad when he was 16, and before then, he had just played football in school. He had not played in a team. Um, so it's very, very different from how it's done in most parts of, of, of the world at the moment with youth football, but it's very, very successful. And each season we see player after player making up to Real Sociedad's first team. And each of these players are, care so, so much about this club. If you take Miguel Arzabal, for example, he, he actually came up through Eibar, which is also an interesting thing. He's, he's from Eibar, uh, which used to be a little bit of a farmer club to Real Sociedad. Not so much anymore. Um, and, but he is Real Sociedad through and through. He, when he got an offer from Athletic Club, I think which was more than double what he earned at Real Sociedad, he turned, not just turned it down, but at the same time as he turned it down, he accepted to take over the number 10 shirt at Real Sociedad, which means a lot more than just number 10 shirt because it used to be the shirt of Sabi Prieto. So it was basically, okay, I'm the new Sabi Prieto, which is basically saying, I'm never going to leave this club. Uh, and that's a kid who's just 22 years old and he did that when he was, what was it, 21, 20? Uh, so that is Real Sociedad. And that is, I think, a key in them. It's the way that they they are so good in the development of, of the players, but they also let them be kids and they see the, how important it is that they do other sports. Uh, and then when they come up to the team, they are as much Real Sociedad fans as you could pro- possibly be and there's very, very few things that will take them away from that club. And bravo to Real Sociedad for treating people like human beings as well, because I think, you know, so much of modern football, especially with youth players, we're taking care of the technical and the physical side of their game and the educational side even, but the human and emotional side is important too, and it just shows that it can pay off. All right, so I think we could probably wrap up then with uh, the last team that featured a Scandinavian who didn't feature a Scandinavian this week, but the one based where you're based, Celta. Um, I know that you want to talk about one man in particular, a guy who to Barca fans it will be a very familiar name and especially to Barca fans who have followed the development of young players over the years who people had a lot of big expectations and hopes for, but isn't there just now at least, uh, Rafinha? Yeah, so I think we, 
we have seen Celta turn turn around this last couple of weeks. They've got three huge results. First, they won at home against Sevilla. They drew at Bernabeu against Real Madrid. And now they took a huge, huge win against Leganes at home this weekend. And there is many things to, to why they managed to do this turnaround. But one, one big, big key is named Rafinha. So in contrast to Denis Suarez, who started the season really good at, at Celta and then kind of faded away, Rafinha started quite badly. His first game was horrible, to, to put it frankly. He got, had injuries, troubles already at start, which is a very Rafinha thing to do. Uh, but he's really grown into his role at, at Celta and become the key player. And in these last three games, I'd probably put him as, as man of the match for probably all of them. And it's it's obviously his quality as a football player that is on a very high level that we all know that when he's injury free he's a really really good football player but what for me stands out more than anything is his attitude his dedication so for me at the Balaidas this this weekend the thing that stood out more than anything was when Celta de Vigo won a throw-in on their own side of the pitch and Rafinha celebrates like he celebrates like it was a goal that won them the game. I, I've never seen a player celebrate a throw-in, and especially not in the way that Rafinha did it. And it's you see it throughout the game with him as well. And he gets his, his teammates on, on the same side and gets them as, as uh, get them the energy and all of this. And that is the thing that is so, so important when you're in a situation that Celta are in, when you're in the relegation battle, when you have to, to fight for your life. And to have a player that grew up here, he, he grew up in, in Vigo, he saw his dad play for, for Celta, he played in the youth teams, even if it was just one or two seasons. And then he came back uh, on loan from Barcelona, was a key player in one of their best seasons under Luis Enrique. Uh, and then coming back and, and having this attitude, it means so much for the fans, it means so much for the players around him and the other players who are, are Celta youth teamers who's uh, come up through the youth ranks of the club. And I think uh, it's it's easy to underestimate stuff like that, but it's just so, so important. And, and for me, Rafinha is one of the keys to why Celta are likely to stay up in La Liga this season. And I think the thing about attitude is that it, ha- it comes from the players, but it also has to come from the coach. And the one thing that I think is really intriguing about Celta right now is they're a very intense team for the first time in quite a while. And there's this confusion often with the phrase intensity which like is talked about so much in Spanish football in particular since Diego Simeone's arrival but and and Pep Guardiola to some extent intensity is often confused with being a defensive team but that's not that's not the, the case intensity can also be at the very end of a game where you're a goal down at the Santiago Bernabeu you're still going for it you're still trying to get that equalizing goal which Celta did intensity can also be always being switched on always trying to press high and win the ball and be attacking and I think that what Oscar Garcia has proven remains to be seen how the rest of the season goes, but at least in the last few weeks or so, the turnaround that he's had, he's proven that it's a little bit of a myth that you always have to go for a defensive coach to get out of a crisis because sometimes, and in Celta's case, I think this is the case, if you have the right players on the, the books, if you have a squad that's built for playing attacking football, then a really good attacking coach who can also bring some balance and that level of intensity can be just as useful, if not more useful. So I don't think it's a coincidence that the things that we've been talking about with Oscar Garcia's mentality and the kind of football he wants to play is paying off. And then you have people like Rafinha, who's a born winner, who from problems with injury maybe hasn't had quite the career that he's supposed to, but is someone who's had to fight and work really, really hard to become one of this like cream of the crop at a place like Barca. 
that he has that kind of intensity that matches Oscar Garcia is no coincidence. I think they're a really good fit for each other. And then I also think it's a, a thing that most of us or any of us really didn't understand was just how bad shape Celta was in when Oscar took over mentally. So this is a team that I'd gone through by then, I think, four coaches in a very, very short time, where two of them I would barely call coaches in, in the way that they handled everything when they were at Celta, Antonio Mohamed and Cardoso, uh, where Fran Escriba was the right coach at the right moment at the end of last season, but not for the start of the season. So it was, I think it was a very a team where a lot of the players were mentally quite broken down because it's quite difficult going through that many coaches, uh, fighting a relegation and just how you're playing is changing constantly the ideas are changing and sometimes there is not even a structure and there's so much dependent on you but you don't really know what you're doing um, and all of this so when Oscar took over it's easy for a player I think to just okay here's the fifth coach and just not not really believe in it um, so it's taken some time for him to turn things around but I think if you look into the situation that self, it's easy to say okay the players also have they should be doing so much better why are they down there but then if you look at the circumstances if you look at what these players have been going through all these coaches have gone through players that come and left uh, and just how how mentally uh, exhausting it must have been for these players the situation they were in when oscar took over i think was worse than than any of us really understood and it's taken him time to turn it around but you, you've been able to see on the pitch, how the football has gotten better and better from week to week, even though they haven't picked up the results. But I think that has also been important for the players to actually believe in that we're actually doing something. Uh, but then that getting the win against Sevilla was such a key to realize that, okay, we can actually win football matches now. And you see, after the game against Sevilla and, and uh, Real Madrid, I think is where the Celtic players started to gain their confidence back. And the win against Leganes is the win that makes sure that that confidence stay. Because if they would have lost that game or drawn that game in the last minute, especially going down 10 men, which also needs to be pointed out, Celta played the majority of that game with 10 men. I think it was in the 20th minute or something, they, they got the red card and they still managed to win. Um, and also the, the goal they scored was just off that Leganes had got a red card and then VAR had taken the red card away again. Uh, and then Celta got their free kick. And had that been a few weeks ago, they would not have scored that. But with the confidence they currently have, it's, it's just a completely different team. And it's just such a long process to get there from where they were. And I think Oscar needs a lot, more, a lot credit for that, especially having had at the start, because they weren't getting the results. He got a lot of criticism, a lot, a lot of criticism. And like, this is just another bad choice from the Celta board, blah, 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 blah. And he's gotten more criticism than positivity and now everything is changing around because people are actually starting to see the huge changes that he's done and even it's still early and it's we still can't really give the clear judgment until the end of the season uh, but at this moment I think that, that he's done an immense job with this team. All right, so there's been so much to talk about today that we haven't even managed to get to all the points that we planned on getting within a reasonable time frame. So if you think that we're ignoring Atletico Madrid's uh, apparent revival since uh, that really remarkable win against Liverpool and then their impressive win against Villarreal, we are not, but we will take it next week because then we'll have an even bigger sample size to talk about, I think, to decide whether it really is a corner that's been turned or not. Likewise, we're not ignoring Real Madrid's apparent downturn, but again... 
when they've played Manchester City, I think we'll have an even clearer picture of how things are going for them. Um, but looking to the future as well, it looks like um, putting a little red dot on my calendar in a couple of weeks' time, it looks like we're going to have a Bombatho presence when a Dane, a Swede and a Norwegian clash at the Camp Nou when Barca host Real Sociedad in a couple of weeks. So that's pretty exciting. Um, but that's for that's for later down the line. Until then, Alexander Jonsson, any closing thoughts? Um, that everyone should learn to say Martin Brathwaite. This is why we work together. <laughs> Martin Brathwaite. There's video evidence. Go and look. We retweeted from a friend of the show, Martin Glinvad. Evidence of the man himself saying it. Martin Brathwaite literally showing you how to say his name. It's not that difficult. You can learn. Go on to at Bombathopod. It's on the Twitter feed. You can find it there. So I guess that'll be my, my closing comments. Uh, We'll say hey though and we'll say congratulations to the great, the one, the only, the super Dane, Martin Brathwaite. Scandi takeover is fully off.